Please be aware that this is a podcast about sex work. Therefore, it includes strong language, particularly language related to sex and the sex industry. There will also be mentions of stigma related to sex work, as well as state violence against sex workers. Sexual violence and trafficking may also be mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Babylon, the podcast that asks who's talking about sex workers and why. My name is Vanessa Ontiveros, and I'll be your host. There's something special about the written word. When you can point to a piece of writing, you just feel so authoritative. Whether it's online or in print, writing carries with it a sense of permanency. A way to say, I was here, and I had something to say. As long as there has been writing, there have been sex workers writing about their experiences. As we covered in the first episode, the 1970s were a real game-changer for the sex workers' rights movement. It also saw the publication of a massively successful book about sex working life. New York call girl and madam Xaviera Hollander published The Happy Hooker in 1972. Since then, it sold over 20 million copies and multiple movies based on the book were also made. In the memoir, Hollander recounts her life from childhood through her rise in the world of New York City's escorting scene. Other sex-working writers like Carol Lee and Annie Sprinkle contributed heavily to feminist discourse during the 1970s and beyond. It's also worth noting that Dr. Maya Angelou, the famed poet and activist, was a sex worker in her young adulthood. She wrote about it in her 1974 memoir, Gather Together in My Name. Like all communication, the advent of the internet made it easier for writers to get their messages out there. That, along with shifting attitudes toward sex work, have led to a wave of sex workers writing about their lives, complications included. Today, we'll be hearing from sex-working writers who have shared their experiences and wisdom through blogs, books, and magazines. We'll start with Maggie McNeil. Maggie is a writer and activist who runs the blog The Honest Courtesan, where she'll talk about anything and everything, including her experience as a sex worker. She's seen the increase in access to writing and publication firsthand. You know, I mean, when I was a kid, we had uh, uh, the happy hooker, you know, Xavier Hollander. You know, so that was a, a thing. Wow, she got to publish her truth. She got to publish, story, you know, what it really was like for her. And slowly in the 70s and 80s, we started seeing more and more publishing, but again, it was still inaccessible. It was hard to get a book published. It was hard to get articles published. So you did have some writers, you know, in the 90s, you started seeing more of them. But then when the internet became a thing, the more tech savvy sex workers made their own blogs. Uh, my friend, Brooke Magnanti, of course, who, who wrote as Belle du Jour, she was writing what around 2002, um, you know. So she was a real early adopter of blogs because she's she's got a scientific mind. She's a scientist, you know. That's the way she thinks. Brooke Magnanti wrote her blog Diary of a London Call Girl under the pen name Belle Du Jour. It was popular throughout the early 2000s. Maggie also got her start blogging in the early aughts and has been going strong ever since. Way back in around 2004, when I started doing activism, I had been doing. Uh, sex work full time 
for about four years at that point. When I first wanted to start writing about the topic, first I started writing a bunch of essays with the intention of collecting them and publishing them. And so then I started reaching out to agents and reaching out to publishers. And I did that for about three or four years. Nothing ever came of it. So by around 2007, 2007, 2008, I uh, had pretty much come to the conclusion that the publishing industry was not interested or was scared or was I wasn't going about it the right way or, or any number of things like that. And so it was at that point that I started becoming kind of paying attention to blogs. And uh, well, I mean, I had been seeing blogs for years, but not really thinking of them as something I could do. And what actually happened was a guy that I talked to very often on this message board he used to be on. He had linked a post he did about Wonder Woman. And I, I asked him, I'm like, man, how, how do you do that? You know, and he's like, oh, you just go to WordPress. It's easy. And I'm like, well, what does it cost? He goes, it doesn't cost anything. I'm like, it doesn't? He's like, no. So I went. And after a couple more weeks, I did my blog and started it. And boom, I haven't stopped since. But Maggie, in her own words, has always been a writer. My first poem was probably in second grade, I want to say. My first story was probably in fourth grade, maybe third, but I think fourth. And then in fifth grade, I, um, I had a teacher, you know, everybody, every writer usually has one teacher they can point to and say that teacher, you know, and for me, it was my fifth grade teacher. And she, um, she really, really, really encouraged me to do writing. She would give me writing exercises and things like that. She also has always been someone people come to with questions. And on her blog, she's answered all sorts of questions through her Ask Maggie entries. Topics range from what should I do about intense social anxiety, to how do I find an escort in my city, to is there such a thing as too much sex? And I used to be a reference librarian, which is basically a professional question answerer. You know, that's what you do. People come in the library, they say, I need to find out about Napoleon. And you say, what do you want to know about Napoleon? You know, and oh, well, you know, how he rose to power. Well, come on, let's go over here and we're going to look in these books and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so that's, uh, I've always been sort of the uh, a question answerer. So it's, it's not, it's not anything new for me. It's, it's kind of a lifelong pattern. That was Aaron, Maggie's 19-year-old cat in the background, by the way. When we talked, Maggie told me about the two types of writers, plotters, who fully plan out things ahead of time, and pantsers, people who fly by the seat of their pants. Maggie says she is firmly in the latter category. Maggie's published six books, some of which are collections of her blog entries, and some of which are original short stories. Each essay I write, or each story, is a thing in and of itself. It, it forms in my head, and, and I write it. And then later on, I may come back and, and do some editing on it or something. But for the most part, it's just sort of there. I more give birth to it than build it. And then when I do one of my collections, of course, what I do is I go through, okay, which, which of these are important enough that I want to put them in paper, you know, which are not. Um, and then how do I want to organize them? What kind of principle can I use to, to organize them? And, and usually it's something simple. With my stories, it was something like putting the stories in three columns, ones that take place in the present, ones that take place in the past, ones that take place in the future. 
and then kind of alternating boom, 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 like that through the book. With the, uh, the essays, I sort of did it by publication dates. I would just go through, okay, here's, let me grab one of the ones that's published in January. Let me grab one of the ones that's published in February and so on, just through the book, you know, three or four times until I've used up everything I've got there. So it's not any kind of really super clever way of arranging it. It's just something that makes sense in my head. But the actual writing process is, is like I said, it's very organic for me. I don't use outlines. I don't use anything like that. I just kind of sit down and it spills out. That is, it's easier for me because I write that way, because I think that way. As she said earlier, when Maggie first tried to share her writing, publishers weren't interested. We'll discuss publishing further on in the episode, but for now it should be acknowledged that accessibility historically has been a problem when it comes to large-scale storytelling. Strides have definitely been made, but even today sex workers who are more marginalized are less likely to be represented than others. I asked Maggie what changed between when she first tried to get a book published and when she actually published her first one. Oh, well, I mean, self-publishing became a thing. See, when I was was younger, you know, in the, back in the pre-internet days, there were these things called vanity presses. And the, the name is exactly what, you know, it, it, if you wanted to publish a book, you could go to these vanity, vanity publishers and you could pay to have books produced. Uh, but it had a certain connotation so I had that prejudice when I was younger, you know, I mean, because that was, that was the milieu I was raised in, you know, but once I, you know, the, when the aughts, as the aughts aged on, I began to look at it more and more and going, no, more people are self-publishing now because you can, and you can put your books on Amazon, you can feature your books. It, it has become an actual, it's an actual choice people make now. It's not just something you do as a last resort. There are as many different sex work experiences as there are sex workers. And with more accessibility, more of these stories will be shared and preserved, hopefully working towards a rosier political future. In addition to blogging and books, Maggie also discussed how social media, particularly Twitter, changed the storytelling game to the detriment of people trying to spread false narratives about the sex industry. So it's much, much, much more accessible and that is can only be positive. That's, you know, because it's real. You know, when you have two or three people who do all the speaking for a group, it's very, very easy for people who want to spread disinformation to say, oh, well, those people, there's only two or three of them and they're all in cahoots. They're lying to you. When it's 10,000 people or more, really? Like, that, it's just not believable as a conspiracy. Lola Davina has spent almost 30 years in and around the sex industry, working as a stripper, dominatrix, porn actress, and escort over a 15-year period. She earned an MA in human sexuality and an MS in nonprofit fundraising, and writes a self-care and wellness column for whynotcam.com. She is also the author behind the Thriving in Sex Work series. Her first book, Thriving in Sex Work, Heartfelt Advice for Staying Sane in the Sex Industry, was published in 2017, and an accompanying workbook came out in 2018. The sequel, Sex Work and Money, Personal Finance Advice for Sex Workers, 
came out last year. Lola started out in sex work in her early 20s. She left the industry for a while, but returned in her 30s and retired a few years later. At the, about the 10-year mark, I started thinking about how I would like to give back to the sex worker community. Um, and I had not written a book at that time. I'd never written a book. For some reason, I had the idea to write a book about sex work, uh, to help, sex work and personal finance. That was a book that I, was in my mind. I was thinking, you know what, if I could go back, if it was one thing that I could really do to help people, I had a lot of trouble managing money, certainly to start. It was something that I only really learned how to get better at through the course of sex work. Sex work really helped me actually do that, um, learning a lot of things the hard way. And I thought, so maybe it's time for me to give back to this community. And what I'll do is I'll write um, a book. And I was talking to a really dear friend of mine, and she had been a dominatrix for years. And she was saying, Lola, that's an amazing idea. But, and I know you can help a lot of people with that. But really, make sure to include a chapter on self-care. She said that was the thing that for me actually usually would stand in the way of making the money that I wanted to make was getting burned out and, and, and uh, really dealing with the, you know, the frustration and everything. And all of a sudden, it was like an explosion that went off in my mind. The whole table of contents, like the whole, um, all the topics just sort of flowed out of me over a two to three day period. It was really kind of like the idea came into my head pretty fully formed. Um, I would say that the, that the table of contents of my first book is 90% the same as when I initially just sat down and wrote out an outline. So I don't know, it's a, somewhere in those 10 years, I had clearly been munching on everything that had happened to me and mentally, mental munching, and breaking all that down. And um, when it came time to write the book, it, it arrived. Uh, the baby was fully formed. And I like to say that I, I think of it as the book that I wished I had had when I first started out. It was a book to my younger self, all of my, my, my younger friends, the, the book that my, you know, the things I wish I could have said to my, to my friends at the time. It was my older and wiser self coming back and revisiting. I've read Thriving in Sex Work, and the book strikes this really particular balance between being very informative and also feeling like a friend is giving you advice even when discussing really serious topics like being outed as a sex worker or taken advantage of. Even though I was not the target audience, I did feel really good about myself while reading the book. You can't see the words high sexy at the start of each section and not get a confidence boost. And that's exactly what Lola intended. She used a particularly low moment from escorting in her 30s when she felt very alone as a reference for the kind of reader she was talking to. I would, I would use that moment and I would, I would say, you know, I want to talk to the person, whoever, the reader from this place and always never forget this place and be reminded that when you feel this bad, this is, this is how bad it can get, right? Like, because I didn't want this to be like some kind of like Cosmo, like 10 tips for this and that. I was like, there's plenty of that stuff out there. But, you know, I'm really trying to access that place when, when, when people really feel alone and really lose a lot of hope. I always sort of had that mental exercise to writing to that place, writing to that person, that, that state of mind. And the other was uh, my first editor, who I was very grateful for. I, I had somebody, when, the, when I was writing that first book, it, it was kind of in its initial phases. It was still pretty much a mess. It needed a lot of work. But she read through it and she said, you know, Lola, you know, you know your, the information's good, but what you really need is you need, your, you need to get your tone right. She said, your tone is really going to be important for this book. And she said, you know what? This book needs to be a buddy. And she used the term buddy. And I always, that always stayed with me. And, um, when I actually found the voice that I was looking for, I call it the big mama voice. And I thought, 
come, come, little sad one, come tell Big Mama your problems. Big Mama's going to talk to you. And I would actually put at the top of each page when I was writing, you know, you put a header. I, this was just for me, Big Mama voice, because I wanted to be reminded at all times that this is, this is who I'm channeling. The first book took her about two and a half years to write. When she was finished, she started reaching out to publishers. However, she came up against the same hurdles that Maggie did. No publisher seemed to want a book about sex workers. Lola ended up creating her own self-publishing company, The Erotic as Power Press. I believed in my book, but I did not know how to convince anybody else. And the problem is, is there, you know, there is no, there is no sex worker section in Barnes and Noble and all that. So sex work is a difficult sell. And, and, the, and I remember several of my rejection letters just saying that there's not a, a large enough market for this. And I thought, well, that's just ludicrous because there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of current sex workers. And then you take a look at the number of people who have retired from sex work or who are partnered with sex workers, or you know, then, then that, that grows exponentially. And then let's just think about the entire known universe of people who are consumers of sex work. So you have a vast, I mean, you have a vast ocean of people who are, they may not spend all their time there, they may not earn their living that way, but who know a sex worker who are involved, you know, in some way. So I, I just always knew that was a ludicrous argument. So yes, I had to, I had to start my own publishing company. I took, I took the title from the, the very famous essay by Audre Lorde, Use, The Uses of the Erotic, The Erotic is Power. Lola has published two more books since then and is still not done. And... The idea that no one would want to read about sex workers is kind of ridiculous. Given that everyone we have spoken to throughout this series has an audience base that includes all kinds of people, I think it's safe to say that plenty of people are interested in sex workers' stories. As I was writing the first book, I realized that I had three more books to write. And um, they actually kind of break down along the way the first book was conceived, which is to, to address money. Uh, I'll, I'll probably put, I'm going to be putting out a work, an accompanying work, workbook in the next year to go along with that. But then um, sex work and relationships will be the next book that I'll work on because that's so important. And then finally, um, what I'm calling life after the life or life after sex work, because I think for so many people, I mean, again, I, I come back to the idea that there are millions, if not tens of millions of former sex workers walking the earth today. If everybody who had ever done sex work were to just step out of the shadows and like, like wear a certain color or like wear a little button that said former sex, I mean, it would be millions of people. And yet somehow our, our imagination around retired sex workers is almost a null set. We almost have no, what's the word, role models or people to point to. In addition to her other writing, Lola Davina also contributed to the anthology We Too, Essays on Sex Work and Survival, which came out earlier this year. I think sex work anthologies are a really interesting subset of sex worker writing. There are so many different ways to experience the sex industry, and no one person's story is going to be simple. There's good times and bad times and a lot to explore. Anthologies collect many stories in one place. We Too, edited by Natalie West, features essays from writers involved in many areas of the sex industry. We Too explores the sex worker voices that were largely absent from the rise of the Me Too movement in 2017. Topics include stigma, family, survival, and healing. 
the writing in there is honest and heartbreaking and joyful. I honestly think it's the best book I've read all year. Lola recalls her experience contributing an essay on her relationship with the sex industry and self-care. They reached out to me and uh, I was very flattered to be asked. Um, they really, they, they, they reached out to a, a lot of really big name people and, and I was very, very gratified to be asked. Um, I was in the middle of finishing the sex work and money book and I actually thought that I wouldn't have time. I asked, I was writing a, um, the introduction though and something about the way that they formulated the question about like, can you talk about an episode in your life where you learned something that sex work taught you? I said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'm going to take part of my introduction and I'm going to rewrite it and then I'm going to, I'm going to use that if that's okay with you. And they were, they were gracious enough to um, agree to that. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to learn from sex work. And I, I think that that is a very, uh, that is a very, very important story for sex workers to tell what they've learned from the, from the work. Rebel Kunt, the founder of the Ho History Project, who we heard from in episodes one and three, also contributed an essay to the anthology. They wrote about coming back home after working in Florida for a while. I, I know most of the people who have written something in the book on, on some level, maybe not personally, but maybe we know one another from online spaces or have done work together before. But um, the editors reached out and asked if I would be open to contributing a narrative essay. And I said, yeah, this is my first work that's like actually published. So that was really important for me that um, I know that it touches on like a traumatic event and something that requires trigger warning and all of that. But um, for me, it was, it was hard, but it was also therapeutic and really, really important. I, I was honored to be a part of that. And also I just, it felt really good to be able to share something like that. Femi Babylon, the writer we heard from in episode three, also contributed an essay to the anthology. Back in 2019, she published a zine entitled Ho Thoughts on terminology and other unimportant things. It included essays and threads from her Twitter account, at ThoughtScholar. I just threw some um, some stuff together. I, I did design it myself. I put it all together myself. I picked the pictures and everything. Like I have those skills. A, a, a Jane or a jack of all trades or whatever you want to call it. I put, I, I just picked my best threads, my most, my the, the ones that people always retweeted, even if they weren't like viral, like the ones that people always retweeted, the ones that conveyed the most information, like convey like the politics that I generally speak on. And then I wrote essays to supplement um, the threads. Femi is working on a full length book as well, a change of pace from Twitter where most of her scholarship lives. I, I am working, I'm working on an actual book and it's been just like a long time coming. And so like it's coming and I know that some people take like a long time to write their books, but I just feel like because Twitter is so fast, I feel like a lot of pressure to just like hurry up and like get it done. But I've been trying to take my time and everything. Our final guest is Penelope Dario. She is the editor and creative director for a very new but very exciting magazine called Petite Mort. The magazine centers sex worker voices as it works to illuminate the contributions sex workers have made to art, fashion, and society. Its first issue came out just a few weeks ago. Now, Petite Mort is not the first magazine to feature writing and perspectives from sex workers. The magazine spread, 
spelled with a dollar sign instead of an S, launched in 2005. For six years, it featured writing from and about sex workers. Some of its articles were collected into a book published by the Feminist Press, the same publishing company that published the We Too anthology. And low-budget zines have long provided a way for DIY-oriented sex workers to discuss significant topics. Penelope has a long history based in art and photography. Her mom and many other members of her family were artists, and she always knew she would be one as well. During her teen years, she worked in an art museum that aimed to make art more accessible, which taught her that art is for everyone. So I had been kind of playing around with the idea of creating a production company about like four sex workers and just creating a space where I could apply a lot of um, my background in photography and art and creating kind of like an elevated branding incubator for sex workers. It's still part of the mission of the production company. However, I think that the magazine was kind of born out of a desire to not only like create that elevated content, but also have a space where it could live that wasn't just like Twitter or Instagram, where it was always at risk of getting, you know, deleted or like it could be grounds for shadow banning. So it's like, we work so hard on this thing. And then just because, you know, it's slightly suggestive or whatever means that nobody's going to see it. Petite Mort is over 100 pages long, plus two mini mags with astrology readings and an erotic photo spread. The project represents the culmination of Penelope's years of creative work. This magazine sort of feels like, because I never finished college, it kind of feels like it's my like thesis, you know, like I feel like it was um, like me putting together everything that I've learned going all the way back to like my childhood, you know, with my family of musicians and painters going, you know, to organizing events and working with teams and um, like curating work. There's some illustrations in there. There's some photography that I, sh- there's like a photo of uh, the dedication page is one of the, is a photo I took when I was in college, you know, and then going into like, you know, the art direction and all the still life photos was stuff that I, you know, I, I was doing the prop styling for that. And, and then, you know, all the photo editing and retouching. And like, there was like kind of a lot of like paint, like some painting kind of stuff involved there. And so it was just like, it, it was really exciting for me to like find a platform that I could create and kind of just pull in everything that I've learned in my whole life as an artist and kind of like give it to the world as something real you know because I think that until this point I haven't I like I love to create and I create a lot of things I I do a lot of different types of manual work and crafts and things but I don't put it out into the world very often like I think that I I spend a lot of time just making the thing and then I'm like satisfied when it's done and I don't really feel like showing it to the world and so this is kind of an exercise in in letting that go a little bit. When Penelope was younger, she considered going into fashion as a career. But like a lot of artistic fields, fashion can be pretty exclusive. That's antithetical to Penelope's goal of accessibility. While it's still a new project, magazines, by their very nature, allow for more collaboration. And with Penelope in charge, she can decide who is included in the pages of Petite Mort. Obviously, we're not a fashion magazine, but I do think that sex workers and just the erotic entertainment industry is so tied into fashion as well and into style and trend setting and all that stuff. And it's all aesthetic. It's a, it's a lot. A lot of it is very aesthetic. So like 
I think that I do want fashion to be a, a component of it, but I also want to make sure that we are, we're reflecting the future of fashion, considering that fashion is such a complicated industry. And so I want to be kind of focusing on how we can be more inclusive in terms of body size, in terms of gender, in terms of price point as well, you know. Penelope said in future issues, she also wants to make sure that there is a balance between serious journalistic pieces and more lighthearted ones. I think that in the short term, I want to get a really solid quarterly out, you know, every season and to create the, the issues, we record interviews kind of like this. And so um, eventually what I want to do is once we've kind of collected a good amount, enough interviews, what we want to do is like publish them on a podcast. So it'll be like the Petite Mort pod, you know, and, and we'll use interviews that we've collected like since the spring issue, but also like bring guests on and have, you know, um, have shows. I think that would be really interesting. And then in terms of the production company, fashion and music is, is ideally what me and Laura want to get into. And so kind of a, a driving force behind the magazine was to create a portfolio that we can show to, you know, or people can start kind of recognizing us and getting interested in the fact that there is like this talent that's coming from an unconventional place, you know? And because I think that fashion and music and art is always looking for that like edge and that creative edge. And so I think that we have the ability to position ourselves in a way that I think can be really successful, but at the same time, not just doing that for us, you know, like, I think that it's important, like, you know, I, it's something that I really want for myself, but it's also something that I want to be more accessible for the community as a whole. I want to feature all of the women that are so, men and women, non-binary people that are super talented in this industry and who all deserve a chance to be cast in a movie or, or in a ad campaign or a fashion show. As is the pattern on this show, We'll close with Penelope's thoughts on storytelling and its power. I think it's our ticket to freedom. And I think that good storytelling, honest storytelling, and stories that don't scandalize us is the most important thing. There is just history in general, as you know, is white male history. So I think that there's so much that we don't even know about our own history. There's so much that was lost, burned, stolen, you know what I mean? About sex workers, about women, about trans people, non-binary people, like our history has, is erased as it's being created. I, like I could cry thinking about that. And like, I think part of the reason why so many people, so many of us feel so lost in the world is because we don't have a reference of where we come from. And we don't have a reference of, of ourselves happy in history. And all of our contributions have been misappropriated and miscredited. And it's like, and it gets to a point where like, we do just start to think that we are worthless. And we do just start to think that like, the greatest thing we have to offer is our bodies or our sexual entertainment or whatever. And, and granted, that's not nothing. Like, I still think that that's a beautiful art form and it's a beautiful like connection with spirituality and with the, the earth. And like, I, I, you know, I can talk wax poetic about all those things, but like, 
the reality is, is that like a lack, like even for me to see when I, whenever I see a sex worker creating a, writing a book or just doing something to stick her neck out, like I get so excited because it makes, it, it reminds me that like, I'm also capable and that I'm also worthy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Babylon Podcast. Babylon is an independent podcast that I wrote, edited, and produced as my final honors project at the University of Arizona. If you want to know more, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at BabylonPod. Special thanks to Roxandra Guidi for advising this project. The music is Iron by Crowander. A very special thanks to Maggie McNeil, Lola Divina, Rebel Cunt, Femi Babylon and Penelope Dario for agreeing to appear on this episode. You can find Maggie McNeil on Twitter at Maggie underscore McNeil. That's M-A-G-G-I-E underscore M-C-N-E-I-L-L. You can also find her blog, The Honest Courtesan, at www.maggiemcneil.com. You can find Lola Davina on Twitter at Lola underscore Davina. That's L-O-L-A underscore D-A-V-I-N-A. You can also find her blog online at loladavina.com. You can find Rebel Cunt on Instagram at Rebel Without a Bra and on Twitter at Rebel Cunt. That's Rebel spelled R-E-B-E-L-L-E. You can find the Ho History Project on Instagram and Twitter at Ho History. That's Ho spelled H-E-A-U-X. You can find Femi Babylon on Twitter at Thought Scholar. That's Thought spelled T-H-O-T. You can also find her online at ThoughtScholar.com. You can find Penelope Dario on Twitter and Instagram at PenelopeXDario. That's Dario spelled D-A-R-I-O. You can find Petite Mort on Twitter and Instagram at Petite Mort Mag. You can also find the magazine online at petitemortmag.com. That's P-E-T-I-T-M-O-R-T-M-A-G. Once again, thank you for listening.